Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And uh, we're going to continue on with our series, Encountering Jesus. We believe that 2019 is a year of encounter. We're already seeing that happen. And uh, we have had a number of people come up to us and just say, you know, I believe that word. I believe that's what God is speaking. And I believe we're going to see that continue throughout the year. And so that's what I'm looking for, hoping for, as we together seek the power and presence of Jesus for our homes, for our churches, for our community. We want Jesus released in all of it. Last week we talked about one way to find Jesus is know where Jesus is no longer at. And he is no longer in the tomb. Amen. We don't serve a God that is buried and over. We serve a God that is risen and alive and active, active in our lives. He is a present help in time of trouble. And so we're thankful for that. We're, we talked about how we're not going to waste our anointing on what is past. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. We're going to recognize that Jesus has rolled the stone away from the tomb of our own lives. And now we can step beyond the grave and walk not in the grave life, but in the grace life. Thank God for that. And we know that he has an encounter with us planned as we seek him and follow him. Our series text found in Jeremiah 29 and 12 says, Then you will call upon me. And go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. This morning I want to take you to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at a man's encounter with God and see what we can discover as I preach to you a moment with Jesus. Father, again, I ask for your anointing. I ask for your strength. I ask for receptive hearts and ready minds, God, and, Lord, people that are ready to apply the word as we gain it and understand it in our lives. Lord, we're ready to do something and act upon what you are calling us to do. We thank you for a people that are called, for a people that are anointed, for a people that are gifted, for a people that are equipped to do the work of the ministry in our homes, churches, and communities. Father, we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. When it speaks of men or women who are of the way, it's referring to any of those who follow Jesus Christ. And so Saul has gone to the priests and he has said to them, will you give me letters? Will you sanction my uh, work that I'm about to do? Because I'm about to go out and I'm going to find every man, woman, boy and girl who claims that they serve Jesus Christ and are telling others about Jesus Christ and I'm going to drag them back in here and we are going to punish them by the rule of the law. Probably the first and most important thing that I want you to understand 
If we want an experience with Jesus, we have to understand this, that when you are at your worst, God is still at his best. When you are at your worst, God is still at his best. Now, here's what I'm going to try not to do today, but I'm probably going to do it at some point. I'm probably going to intermingle the word Paul with Saul and vice versa because I struggled the whole time I was writing. I kept writing the name Paul, and I'm not talking about Paul. I'm talking about Saul. Now, the truth is they are, in essence, the same person. But the truth also is that they are not the same person, that there was a Saul long before there was a Paul. And that what we are going to see is that God is dealing with the person of Saul right now. Yes, Saul is on a journey. He is becoming Paul. We are all on a journey of becoming something different than we were. We used to be one thing. Now we're on a journey to become something different. The good news is, is that we can. That whatever we are today, whatever we was back then, is not what we have to be today or tomorrow. That God can do a work in our lives that changes us, transforms us, and and makes us into something better. But this is not about Paul today. This is about Saul and Saul becoming what God has called him to do. So here we have Saul, who is the worst degree of a religious zealot. He is so convinced and so fortified in his position and perspective that he is threatening murdering and chasing down every person he can find that is serving Jesus. What he is doing is he is dragging men and women away from their homes back to Jerusalem and seeing that they are stoned for following after Jesus. He's committed. You can say that about Paul or Saul. He's committed. Scripture tells us that Saul even watched as Stephen was martyred for the sake of the gospel. And it gives us this picture of of Saul standing kind of off to the side, kind of watching everybody's coats while they're throwing rocks at uh, Stephen. And it says that he stood there giving approval. You know, he's standing there in judgment and condemnation and approval of the devastation that is taking place in a person's life who is actually following after Jesus Christ. So Saul is in every way an absolute enemy of everything that Jesus came to do. Yet I'm going to tell you this morning that even at Saul's very worst, that doesn't change the goodness and kindness of our God. That even though Saul was at his worst, God is still at his best. Listen to me. The worst you is still not too bad for our good God. The worst you cannot even begin to compare to the goodness and grace of our God. Let me tell you, at your worst, God still loves you. At your worst, God still cares for you. At your worst, God still has a plan for you. At your worst, God still wants you. At your worst, God still believes in you. And at your worst, God is still pursuing you this morning. At your worst, God is still at his best. You want to have an encounter with God that changes your life? The enemy is going to tell you you don't deserve it. The enemy is going to tell you that God is finished with you. The enemy is going to tell you that you've done too much for God to do anything with your life and to do anything for you. But I'm telling you, Scripture's telling you that even when you're at your worst, our God is still at his best.
And it's His works. It's His works and not our works that matter. He's good enough and great enough to make up for your lack. He's power enough, powerful enough and righteous enough to walk right into the middle of your mess and not have it even begin to diminish His character, His grace, and His power. He's always at His best. I'm glad to know that God doesn't have a down day. <laughs> I've had a down day or two. I've had days where I'm not at my best. <laughs> Easy, April. She get a little bit too fired up about amen and God doesn't have a down day. He's never a little off. You know, he's never not himself. He's never not in the right state of mind or not in a position to take care of whatever's going on with you. He's always at his best. Saul deserved God's wrath, but instead he will receive God's mercy. And every one of us in this room deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's very worst. We deserve His wrath, His judgment, His punishment. But what we get in an encounter with Him is always His very best. We get His love, we get His mercy, and we get His grace. And so I'm just telling you this. If God will show up in a man's life like Saul, at his absolute worst then I believe it's safe to say that God will also show up in your life regardless of where you are on the spectrum. At your worst, at your best, or somewhere in the middle, God wants you right now, and He is pursuing you this very moment. Now listen to me. Don't let the truth of who you are diminish the truth of who He is. Don't let the truth of who you are diminish the truth of who He is because He is a relentless, pursuing God and He is madly, madly, madly in love with His kids. And you are His children. You're never too far gone for the reach of God's grace. Never too far gone for His reach. Verse 3 goes on to say, As He journeyed, He came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I'll come back to that in a moment. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Secondly, if we're going to experience, have an experience with Jesus, we have to give place to the presence of God. we got to give place to the presence of God. What we try to do in services is we get, try to give place to the presence of God. We try to let God do what God wants to do. That takes some learning to be sensitive and to discern where God is operating and where God is moving. But we are committed and determined that we always want to be in step with His Spirit, following Him, doing what He is calling us to do, going where He is leading us to go, and staying connected to Him. We've got to give place to the presence of God. Saul is intersected by the power of God on the road to Damascus. And here, listen, 
closely. We look at this passage, and it's easy to assume that Saul really didn't have a choice in the situation. We look at this and we think that God overwhelmed him and overpowered him and Saul was in some kind of way just a pawn in God's eternal game. But I think if you look at the greater context of Scripture, we come to understand that that is not the case. That God is always a gentleman. That He doesn't overpower or overwhelm anyone without a willingness on our part. Will God overwhelm you? Will God overpower you? Absolutely. But it takes a willingness on our part. God never steps on your right to choose. He never steps on your will. He always allows your will to come in concert with His will. And that's when we intersect the power and presence of God. He moves on us as we give Him place and position in our lives. He never seizes position And he never usurps control. Saul is wrong in what he's doing, clearly. But I would would say to you, submit to you, that Paul, even though he is, Saul, even though he is wrong, he is sincerely wrong. Think about it. Saul sincerely believes that what he is doing is the work of God. And he is absolutely 100% committed to the work of God. The problem is, is he's wrong. He's wrong, but he's sincerely wrong. He really believes what he is doing is the right thing. He is a zealous Jew, and he is a purveyor of the law. And the Christians are laying down the law and accepting the Savior, and he sees that as an affront to the God that he has always known and the God that he has always served. But it could it be that the God he knows and the God he thinks he is always serving is just a little piece of who God really is, and there may be a bigger plan than what he knows at this point in his life. Saul sees this as an affront to the Lord himself. And I would argue that Saul is on a sincere quest for the truth. And that is exactly what he finds on the road to Damascus. Even though Saul is what he is, he still respects the presence of God. He is zealous for God. You know, let me tell you, you never go wrong seeking the truth. Jesus is the truth, and in searching for it, you always end up finding Him. So to give place to the presence of God, there's three things that we have to do. The first thing is this, we have to stop and be still. Acts 9.3 says, And suddenly a light shone around him in heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him. So in other words, he falls down on the ground. He, he submits himself to what is going on. He's still and quiet, and he is listening to what God is saying to him. He fell on the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When God's presence shows up, we have to give place to his presence by stopping and being still. It's about reverencing his presence. It's about acknowledging he is in the room. It's acknowledging that he has walked into this place. And God, we're here for you. And if we're here for you, then we need to stop and listen to what you're saying and what you're doing. The second thing we have to do is recognize him. We have to recognize or acknowledge him. Acts 9, 5 says, and he said, who are you, Lord? Do you get that? He recognizes the lordship 
He recognized the power. He recognizes the sovereignty. He recognized that this resembles God. And he says, who are you, Lord? Saul didn't know Jesus, but he had enough understanding to recognize the lordship of the presence that just overwhelmed him. He had enough sense of the situation to recognize the sovereignty, the majesty, and the glory of God. When you recognize, when we recognize or acknowledge what we know of God, I will wager you that you'll soon discover what you don't know of Him. I say when you recognize and acknowledge what you do know of God, what you'll discover is there's aspects of Him that you have yet to realize. There's things about Him that you have yet to understand. And no, Saul says, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord says to him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You thought you were working with me, and all the while you were working against me. It's hard to kick against the goads. That's a peculiar phrase, kicking against the goads. The ox goad is what it's referring to, and it's referring to this long spear that they would use on the cart to goad the ox to get them to move. It had a little point on it, and at times they would poke the ox, and instead of the ox moving, the ox would kick against the goad. It would kick that spike. And what it would do is it kicked against the spike is it would just injure itself worse. It would just hurt itself more. It would just injure itself in the process of being stubborn. Jesus said it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It speaks of, it's a metaphor speaking of the pointlessness of fighting against God. It's not that God would ever force us to serve Him or seek Him, but it's pointless to live a life in opposition to the real source of life. It's a picture of the absurdity of rejecting the gospel and more than that, an ongoing relationship with Jesus. Why are we kicking against the goats? It's a picture of the struggle that we have in this life to not just stop and rest in Him operate in concert with Him, but rather spend our time struggling instead of just walking with the Savior. So I want to ask you this morning, I want to encourage you this morning, don't be a gold kicker. Don't be a gold kicker. You know, we we struggle instead of just walking with Jesus. Instead of finding a rhythm with Him, we're always out of beat with Him. You know, and what contributes to that busyness? You know, my own anxieties, my own nerves and struggles that I have, my own mindset. All of that stuff is about me really putting myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority of Jesus Christ, and trusting that He is God indeed. And that He is able to work all things out for my good. Don't be a goat kicker. Also, if we're going to give place to the presence of God, we have to also, number three, respond to Him. We have to respond to Him. Stop and be still. Recognize He's in the room. But what good is all that if we don't respond to Him? Saul says in Acts 9, 6, So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Isn't that where we're all trying to get? That's where I'm trying to get. God, just tell me what you want me to do. We need 
some financial help. God, please just tell me what you want me to do. God, I need to fix this area of my life. If you will just tell me what to do, I promise I will do it. God, just tell me what to do. We're all trying to get there. I think instead, oftentimes, though, here's the deal, is that when we seek God, what we really expect from Him is not, God, what do you want me to do? But, God, this is what I'm trying to get you to do. God, this is where I need you to be. This is what I need you to fix. This is how I need you to work. We have to respond to Him, not to try to get Him to respond to us, but that we were responding to him. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Where do I go from here, God? I'm listening and I'm waiting on you. The encounter only means something if we allow God to give it meaning. The encounter only means something if we allow God to give it meaning. I can't ascribe my own meaning to it. I have to discover his intent for me. So giving place to the presence of God. When God shows up, we stop and still. We recognize and respond to Him. Verse 8 says, Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Listen, making sense of an experience with God is found in continuing to seek God. He gives meaning to the experience as I continue to seek him. Saul leaves his encounter, and he begins fasting and praying. Why do we fast and pray at the beginning of every year? Because we want God's direction. God, what do you want us to do? We're waiting to hear from you. He's seeking meaning to what has been happening and what is going to happen in his life. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Look what's happening here in our scripture. Saul is seeking God. Ananias is seeking God. Both have encounters that start to give meaning and purpose to their lives. And God is going to create an intersection for them that they come together and their meanings and purpose all match up to accomplish something great that he has planned. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. I'd love to preach that, but I'm not going to this morning. And inquired the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. The third thing is this, that if we want to experience Jesus, we need to understand that an encounter with God is not just about me. That an encounter with God is not just about me. A moment with Jesus is never just about the moment with Jesus. You didn't hear me. I said the moment with Jesus is never just about the moment with Jesus. It's not just about this moment right here in the altar where God touches me, God moves on me, God shakes me and moves and just does something big in my life. It's, it, it's about that moment, yes, but it's not just about this moment. And if we can find our experiences to a specific moment in time, we are missing the meaning and the purpose behind what God is trying to do in our lives. Let me tell you, church, this morning, it's much bigger than you. It's much bigger than me that God is trying to do something in me so he can do something through me and do something big in somebody else's life. 
it's always about something greater. It's always about more than me. Everything God does in me is for a greater purpose than just me. I'm going to say it again. Is it about me? Yes. Yes, of course it is. Nobody's leaving you out. And God's sure not leaving you out. But it's not just about me. It has to be more than that. When I limit the experience I have with God to only impacting me, I missed its ultimate purpose. Yes, it changes my life. But it's meant for more than just that. Whatever is given to us is meant to have an impact beyond us. God doesn't desire to pour His Spirit into us only. His desire is to pour His Spirit through us. It's about the overflow. It's about getting a little bit of what He's got in you onto somebody else. And so the moment here is bigger than Saul. It's also about Ananias. It's also about the people that we will, they will reach together and impact God will have through their lives together. If Saul only comes to know Jesus a little more, then he's missing the real point of the encounter. Do you see that? Because an encounter with Jesus is not just about me, it's about what God is doing through me. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. It's bigger than just Saul. Lastly, if we want to experience Jesus, we need to understand that an encounter with God is always, always leading me to purpose. It's always leading me to purpose. An encounter with Jesus is not the end. It is a beginning It's a beginning. It's the start of something new. And I'll just tell you, oftentimes in church life, we treat an experience with God as the end of my suffering, as the end of a journey, as an end of a a time when God didn't speak much, as an end of just this long drought season. But I'm telling you, it's not the end. It's the beginning It's because God has now flipped the page on a new chapter in your life. And that is the beginning, uh, uh, that's the first paragraph in what God is about to write in your story. It is just the start. And it is always about leading us to purpose. It's always the beginning of a work He is doing through me. Saul has an encounter with God. Why? Verse 15 He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. The encounter is not just so Saul will have his own relationship with Jesus. It's about that, but it's not just about that. It's so thousands, thousands of others can have a relationship with Jesus too. Paul's the man for the job. 
You are the man. You are the woman for the job that God has for you. Nobody else can do what you can do. Nobody's called to do and go where you're called to do and go. God is going to use you. But the experiences we have with God have to be the beginning of God's writing our story, pinning our poem, writing our song, or whatever you want to say. But it's just the beginning. Don't make the encounters you have with Christ small in your life. I have moments where I remember the touch of God on my life. When I desperately needed God to speak. Yesterday was a day like that. Yesterday was a day like that for me. I needed God to do something. And He did. But I can go back over the years of my life and there's moments where God has changed my trajectory. When God's changed my mindset. When God's fixed my heart. When God straightened up some stuff that was messed up in my life. All these moments. But all of those moments are about what? They're not about the moment. Or just the moment. Yes, they're precious. Yes, they're they're wonderful. Yes, they're life-changing. But listen, they're not just about that moment. They're about something more than that. That is the beginning of a new chapter. Don't make those encounters small in your life. Don't take something God is doing and treat it like it starts and ends with you. Because it doesn't. It can't. It can't. It has purpose. You have purpose. And when God touches your life, that experience is leading you to purpose. What do you want me to do is the right question. Where do you want me to go from here? God, how do you want me to respond now? Church, we cannot limit God's power and presence to only making us feel better about our own lives. It has to go beyond that. There is a purpose behind it, and the purpose is always the same, so that the lost will come to know Jesus. A moment with Jesus is so much more than just a moment with Jesus. Lord, would you come? What can a moment with Jesus do? Let me ask you, what can a moment with Jesus do? What can a moment with Jesus do? I'll tell you what it can do. It can take a Saul at his worst and change him and put him on a course that changes the world. That's what a moment with Jesus can do. We, we can give place to a moment with Jesus. When we give place to a moment with Jesus, we can discover who we are and who he is. And it gives me greater perspective and keeps me aware that life isn't just about me. It's about other people and how God is trying to use me to do something greater. A moment with Jesus is about his purpose in my life and my discovering it. And this year is a year of encounter. God is moving in hearts and lives. Let Him move in your heart and life. And when He does move, let it matter beyond you. Let it matter beyond you. To experience Jesus, you've got to know that even when you're at your worst, He's at His best. We give place to the presence of God. And when we give place to that, we watch what He does in our life, and it's always good. That that encounter is not just about me, but it's also about what he's trying to do through me. And it's about the purpose that God is leading me to. Don't, listen, don't let an encounter with God die on the road to Damascus. 
it's got to be taken further than that. It's got to be, go beyond that. This room is full of people who have had moments with Jesus. Moments where God has spoken a word to you. Moments where God has taken you and you were headed this way and He shifted everything and He sent you a different way. Moments when He stood between you and death. Moments when He stood between you and destruction. Moments when He stood between you and a bad decision. Moments when everybody else had abandoned you and He showed up and He said, No, I'm still with you. Moments at camps. Moments at revivals. Moments in church services. Moments in the middle of worship that just apprehended me and knocked me off of my feet. And for a moment, I was just struck by an encounter on my own personal road to Damascus. I can remember a few years ago, several years ago now, at camp, kids camp, youth camp, it's always the same every year at camp when I was growing up. First day, salvation. Second day is about, you know, more salvation. For other people that had enough resolve to not give in to the conviction power of the Holy Spirit the first day, we got them on day two. Day three was always about the Holy Spirit getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so now that you're saved and you're not a sinner anymore, you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that still. But day four was always about your calling. Because they understood then that a moment with Jesus is not just about that moment with Jesus. It's about what's going to happen beyond this. That in this camp, there are people that are getting called, getting filled with the power of God, getting saved from a life that they used to live, and now they are ready to do something with that transforming power of God in their lives. And I can remember at 14 years old, God, I can take you to the place today and I can stand on the very spot where God already knew that I felt like God had called me to ministry, but there was something profound about that moment. That was my Damascus moment where I stood there and the power of God was so overwhelming to me that it confirmed what I already kind of felt in my spirit. Yes, you're called. Yes, you're supposed to do this. Yes, this is what your life is going to be given to. We need those moments. But I could have had a great moment at 14 and let the moment be the moment and never done anything else with it. But I'm here today because I found meaning in the moment, purpose in the moment, and passion in the moment. And since that moment, I've been doing this since 14. Some days I like to do something different. But I know this is what I'm created for. And I said all that to say this. You've had moments in your life where God has spoken words to you and you maybe have let, because I've had this happen to me too. I'm not suggesting that I got it all right. Moments where God spoke a word to me and I just let the moment be the moment and let those words be stolen from me by the enemy or by some negative person or someone that says it couldn't happen. But I believe in a resurrecting God this morning. I don't believe Jesus is in the tomb. I believe He's raised from the dead. 
And I believe that everything that God has ever spoken over your life still applies today. That it's not lost. It's not forgotten. It's not lost one ounce of power. That it is still just as real today as it was in that moment. And so I'm just challenging you today. This is not at all where I thought the altar call was going to go. That's all right with me. I love it. God's going to resurrect some moments for you today. Some things that you thought don't still apply. God's going to let you know this morning that still works. My calling is without repentance. I haven't changed my mind about you. You're still the same person that I met with in that moment. And so stand with me across this place. If you're here this morning, you say, Man, I've let some moments pass me by. I've let some moments that come and go, and I've missed the meaning in the moment. Let's find the meaning this morning. Let's resurrect some words spoken over us today. Let's find where God is trying to lead us, and let's find the purpose behind just a little moment with Jesus today. And so if you're here and you need some of those things brought back, you need God to speak a a fresh word in your life that confirms a former word he'd already spoken, would you step out of your seat and come? This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your time. This is when God's going to speak again. This is when God's going to do some fresh things in your life. Yes, old things are passed away. And some things are new. That doesn't mean that God won't resurrect some words spoken over you into some newness of life and give those words meaning again. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? I want to ask people to come and find somebody to pray for. Just put your hands on their back, support them, let them know they got brothers and sisters in Christ that are standing with them. And I want to declare a word over you this morning. And as I pray over you, I want you just to take where you are right now and just receive what God is trying to speak in your life right now in this moment. Father, I thank you that, Lord, what, you, what has been given to you is never lost. What has been consecrated in moments of our life, Father, is not wasted. But, Lord, your word tells us that it has come up as a memorial before you, Father. Every tear, every cry, every moment of anguish, every moment that was consecrated to you, God, still matters today. Father, I pray that you resurrect some callings in this room. Things that we have let die because of hurt things that we have let die because of tragedy, things that we have let die because of stupidity, things that we have let die because of whatever reason we want to put in the blank. Father, today you are able to resurrect them in the power of your might. And so, Father, I pray that you resurrect some things. Resurrect marriages in this place today. Resurrect professions and dreams in this place today, God. Resurrect Lord, our callings in this place today. Resurrect our passion today, Father. Oh, God, I praise you. Jesus, we thank you, Father. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 945 for Sunday school and at 1030 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays so at 7 p.m.
If you'd like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burkburnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down.